Hey friends, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. The previous episode was a recording of a presentation I gave last month called From Baptist Pastor to Faithful Catholic. And afterwards, a number of people came up to me and asked me some really thoughtful questions. So what I like to do for the Why Catholic podcast is do a Q&A at least once every few months. And I thought this would be a great time to do that and incorporate some of those questions from that night. Remember, if you have a question for me, you can email that to me at whycatholic at substack. So with that being said, in order to keep this around 15 minutes, I'm going to limit this to a handful of questions. So number one, Sheila asks, I would like to know what you gave up and had to sacrifice in becoming Catholic. Well, thank you, Sheila, for your question. Let me answer that succinctly. I gained way more than I ever gave up. You know, part of the reason why I didn't give up that much was just because of my situation. I had left vocational ministry about five or six years before I started exploring Catholicism. Um, I had moved 2,000 miles away from the place, the Protestant circles that I grew up in. And so I didn't have those social pressures. In addition, churches were shut down during COVID, and that's kind of when I began looking. And so I had the space to consider Catholicism without the social pressures. And and so that was a real blessing for me. I, I My heart goes out to these pastors who are actively pastoring churches, but who are considering Catholicism, knowing in the back of their mind, if they choose to be Catholic, they will probably lose their jobs. Um, they'll be ostracized by these communities in some cases, and they're going to have to find a whole new career uh, to start over to support their family. I did not have that situation, fortunately, and my heart really goes out to those particular pastors. You know, I will say this, though. One thing I did lose is I lost the benefit of the doubt, Um, and by that I mean that Oftentimes, what Protestants will do is if someone is Catholic, they'll add an asterisk next to, next to their name, and they'll say, well, that person's Catholic, and, and sort of almost dismiss what they have to say or, you know, hold it with that caveat, well, that person is Catholic. And, you know, I don't think that's happened for all of the Protestants that were in my circles, but I know it's happened with a few. So in losing that benefit of the doubt, that's probably the thing that I've given up the most, those types of relationships where I... I'm no longer trusted the same way because I am Catholic. But again, I will just go back and saying I gained way more than I ever gave up, and I would not trade this decision for all of the world. It has been such a blessing in my life. So thank you for asking that question. Second question comes from Rick. Us Catholics are aware that Protestants know the Bible far better than we do. How has becoming Catholic changed the way you read the Bible? Well, thank you for your question, Rick. You know, I would say this. Part of the reason why Protestants focus on the Bible is because they believe in sola scriptura, that scripture alone is the only infallible source. And the second thing is that they don't have a whole lot of tradition to them. So they're not incorporating years and years of prayers and um, spiritual exercises and commentaries on scripture that the Catholic Church has in its treasury trove. So um, from that standpoint, it's like that's what they focus on is, is on scripture because that's what they believe is the only infallible source. And so in my life, like I had tons of biblical instruction. You know, I went to a Sabbatarian church, so we had Sabbath school, not Sunday school, but we had Sabbath school every Saturday before church. And I went there every Saturday. My parents were sure to get my butt in that seat every Saturday. And, um, you know, I also attended Christian schools my entire life, uh, Protestant Christian schools. In 
pre-K, I remember this from when I was four years old, above the chalkboard, there were these posters of the alphabet, A, B, C, D, all, you know, the whole alphabet. And underneath the letter was a Bible verse. And the first word, the first letter of the Bible verse corresponded to that particular letter. And I remember, I remember what A is. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I remember that to this day. And so we were constantly memorizing scripture. In high school, we didn't have religion classes like they have in Catholic schools. They call them religion classes. We had Bible classes. We studied the Bible. And so studying scripture is really ingrained in us. But, you know, I will, I, I'm going to say this to Catholics. Number one, I've been impressed. I've been impressed by uh, primacy of scripture in the Catholic church. And let me give you two examples of that. One is that the podcast, the Bible in a year with father, Mike Schwartz, it is topping the podcast charts. It's like, no, this is the podcast. It's, it's more popular than pretty much every other podcast that's out there. At least it was number one for a while in 2022. So that's amazing to me. Uh, Catholics love reading scripture. They love studying scripture. Don't for once think that person's Catholic. They don't read the Bible. That's just not true. The second thing is this, is that the mass incorporates, at least on Sunday, incorporates four scripture readings, an Old Testament reading, a responsorial psalm, a New Testament reading outside of the gospels, and then a gospel reading. So we're reading the kind of the entire arc of scripture, not just a particular passage from a particular chapter. And I love that. And I will say this is that I've sat through sermons that have had no Bible reading at sometimes and sermons that maybe have had one scripture reading. There is more scripture reading in the Catholic church than I've had in a lot of church experiences. So don't discount Catholics and their love for scripture. But let me say this, Catholics, if you haven't picked up your Bible, pick up your Bible and study it. You know, there's no excuse saying something like, I'm Catholic, therefore I don't know scripture. That is not okay. That is not an excuse. The Bible is there, study it. It is a, a book that you will study and study and study and never find the end of. So to the other part of the question, Rick, is that how is like my Bible study changed or my Bible reading changed? Well, it's changed in a couple of ways. Number one, um, I'm reading now with consideration of the entire collection of Christian memory. So in other words, I'm constantly asking, how did this person think about scripture? Or I'm looking at this commentary and, and we're talking about 2000 years of reflections and commentaries and spiritual exercises that are so complementary to scripture that it is wonderful. It is a wonderful way of incorporating scripture in your life. And so I, I'm, I'm finding that to be awesome. And part of that too is, is seeing these connections in the entire arc of scripture. So Catholics really incorporate this look at what is the how is the Old Testament informing the New Testament? How is the New Testament informing the Old Testament? So things like the Virgin Mary being the new Eve or being the Ark of the New Covenant, these are ways that Catholics look at scripture. And I just find it so fascinating and something that's severely lacking in a lot of Protestant communities. So I've really been blessed by this experience and have found that my love for scripture has even exploded more in becoming Catholic. So thank you so much for your thoughtful question, Rick.
The third question comes from AB. I'm a fairly new Christian. Why should I convert to Catholicism? I like the reverence and beauty, but I just don't understand all the extra stuff. Protestantism is so much simpler. Well, thank you, AB, for your question. Um, First of all, you have to remember that Protestantism is much younger than Catholicism. And if you're looking at Protestant churches, if you're looking at the older ones like Lutherans or Presbyterians, you're going to find that there's more complexity than something like uh, a a modern mainstream evangelical church. You know, in in these Lutheran or Presbyterian churches, you're going to have things like a a liturgy, a structure to the church, uh, like a hierarchy of sorts, as well as a catechism. Whereas in these uh, much younger evangelical mainstream churches that have only been around for just a few years, there really isn't this tradition. They really haven't developed much. They don't really offer much of a catechism. Um, It's just you come to church, you've seen a few songs, you listen to a sermon, and that's kind of the structure of it. And so, but you have to remember that the Catholic Church is 2,000 years old, and we really believe in in, in a whole connection of the church. It's not just about me and my time. It's It's about being part of this um, global church, right? The word Catholic, worldwide church, and not just worldwide at this moment, but worldwide throughout time. And in in looking and valuing and reading um, and incorporating some of the prayers and visions and spiritual exercises from the past into our current life, we're it's like we're we're creating that connection with all space and all time. That Catholicism is becoming that single story that. The liturgy is breaking down that time and space, and we're becoming uh, collegial brothers and sisters with people that have gone on before us. And so that's the way I would think about this, like not as a all this extra stuff, but a, wow, like look how big, look how grandiose this is. And here's another thing I would say about um, looking at Catholicism uh, and looking at its complexities. So, for example, if you go to Mass for the first time, it's going to be completely overwhelming to you. Uh, you're going to say, you're, why, why are they kneeling here? Why are they doing this? Why are they sticking their hands in the, in the bowl of water over here? You know, Why are they crossing themselves here? You're going to have a lot of questions. Just sit with it. Sit with it for, you know, observe it for a few weeks. It takes a few weeks and it starts to become like a rhythm. But ask those questions why. Don't be afraid to ask why. Ask why. Why do you do this? Why do we do this? Why do you do this? And you're going to find that in Catholicism, there's so much intentionality. It's not haphazard. There's a reason for everything. Why is the building built that way? You're going to find out that there is a reason. There is a symbology to it. And it's so beautiful. It's like it's it's like this. You will never discover the end of the Christian faith inside of Catholicism. You you will never outgrow it. It will always there will always be something to learn, uh, always a eureka moment and it's so it's so enriching and it's so beautiful. And here's the other thing too is that all of these prayers, all of these liturgies that have been put together like liturgy of the hours, like don't try and and, and try and adopt that right away like, you know, five or six 15 minute prayer blocks where you're doing this liturgy every day, like that's a lot to take on. Start with small steps, but realize in that, that these people have put together these things that are helpful in your relationship with Jesus. And that's the whole point of this, the the whole mass, the whole uh, idea of, of these practices and disciplines. People have done that for you and for me to help us, to aid us in our relationship with the Lord. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. And that's what I just absolutely love about Catholicism. Thank you, AB, for your question. 
Fourth question comes from Linda. She asks, how did the sexual abuse scandals in the Catholic Church affect your decision to become Catholic? Well, thank you, Linda. I will start by saying that the sexual abuse scandals were a inhibitor in me thinking about Catholicism because, boy, I mean, who wants to be a part of that, right? Who wants to be a part of an organization where there is systemic, horrific abuse, right? So, but what I've learned is this, in my time in ministry, and I don't say this to deflect your question or to minimize the seriousness of these sexual scandals, but to say this, is that I've been in ministry long enough to know that if your church or your ministry exists long enough, there will be scandal. And it, and that might be in the form of physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, financial abuse, you name it. And the reason why is because, number one, we're fallen human beings, right? We're susceptible to sin. We are sinners. And number two, Satan loves to destroy the church because he loves to make us look like hypocrites because he knows that will keep people keep people away. It's what Mahatma Gandhi noticed. He said, I love your Christ. I do not love your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's the sad reality is that that's what people see. They don't see the good. They see the broken. They see the sin. They see the problem. They see the scandal. And that scandal damages the reputation of Jesus and his bride, his church. I think what I appreciate about the the Catholic Church so much is that they've said, okay, we ha- we know we have a problem, right? So many churches don't know they have a problem until they have a problem, and then it's too late, right? It's too- Then it becomes like, let's put out the fire. And the Catholic Church says, we have a problem. How are we going to address this problem? And they do it in a few ways. Number one, they do it in preventative ways. You know, when I was working at a Catholic school in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, we had to go through this pretty intense training about reducing the risk of child abuse, looking for signs reporting procedures, and so on and so forth. We had to do this. This was part of our job requirement. So there's prevention, but then there's also, well, what if something happens? What do we do? One thing that gives me comfort, oddly, is that in every Catholic parish in the United States, there is a poster in a prominent place, and it says something to the effect of, our commitment to protecting our youth and vulnerable populations, something to that effect. And underneath of it is a hotline for people to call to report any type of abuse, knowing that they can report it anonymously, knowing that their allegations are going to be investigated thoroughly, and knowing that it's done independently, that there is uh, accountability in place. And there are so many churches where this is not the case. They they say things like, oh, just tell the pastor. Well, <laughs> generally, it's the pastor that is abusing people, or it's a leader in the church. And the pastor needs to protect the church because the, the church is his livelihood. And so there's a conflict of interest there. So for my Protestant friends who are listening right now, if your church does not have some sort of preventative measure in place, as well as some sort of accountability structure in place or a way of investigating, a way of holding people accountable um, in the spirit of being proactive about this, then you need to advocate for the church to put this in place. And if they won't, you should run far away and find a church that will. Because we need to know that yes, scandal will happen, right? We are fallen human beings. What do we what are we going to do to help keep that from happening? And sometimes something as simple as having this procedure in place helps that would be offender to say, oh my goodness, if I do this, I'm gonna get caught. So I'm not gonna do this. And that ounce of prevention goes a long way. Thank you for your question, Linda. I appreciate it. 
Do you have time for one more question? This question comes from Sarah. Do you post your podcast on YouTube? Well, Sarah, thank you for your question. I do not. And and this is why I used to have a podcast called Politics in Plain English where I did an audio and a video podcast. And it was so much work to do the video part. I really want to be faithful in doing this podcast. And I've just realized I there's only so much I can, I can take on. And um, in order for me to be faithful, I'm going to have to keep it to this format. Now, if there's someone out there that wants to help me with the, the YouTube part and video at some point. I'm all ears for it. But for now, this is just an audio podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, But I'm sorry it's not on YouTube. But it is on all the other podcast channels. So Apple Podcasts and Google and Spotify and all of those places. So um, easy to find. So thanks for your question, Sarah. And thank you for joining me for this first Q&A episode of Why Catholic. I'll be doing these every few months or so. Remember, you can send me questions. Just email me at whycatholic at substack.com. Again, whycatholic at substack.com. And remember, for just a few bucks a month, you can become a patron. And there's a couple of benefits. For one, you get priority in having your questions answered. But the most important thing is that a portion of your donation goes to directly supporting Catholic ministries. That's right. This podcast is not about making a profit. It's simply to cover my costs for the podcast, and it's a way to support awesome ministries that are impacting our world. There's also a free option as well, which will get you the latest episode of Why Catholic in your email inbox. Just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe to get started. Until next time, God bless you. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic.